0: Welcome to Can, Can we, we Talk, talk About, about this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm
1: your producer, Rogel from Bee Designs.
0: And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes, the entire podcast, this is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Relationships definitely take a hit after bringing new life into the world for many reasons, but one of the biggest changes we experience is in our sex life. I have met many women who tell me they simply have no desire anymore to have sex, that they lack romance or pleasure in the bedroom, or even lack opportunities to be intimate because they are simply overwhelmed, touched out, overstimulated with all the demands of motherhood. Maybe they have high needs children, conflicting schedules, different sleeping arrangements, or just simply limited time and energy. So today I'm chatting to Vanessa from Authentic Awareness. Vanessa is a qualified sex therapist with a master's in HIV, STIs, and sexual health, and is a mum herself, so she totally gets it. And today we chat all things sex after baby, from libidos to body image to birth injuries. We simply cover it all. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm actually really excited to be talking about all things sex after baby because it's a really, really big topic and I find it's a topic people aren't very honest about sometimes, I would probably say, but also it's a really scary topic, uh, particularly if you're in those early weeks postpartum. Um, So tell me, what is a sex therapist? So a sex
1: therapist... Is essentially a counsellor or a psychologist who you would go and see to discuss any relationship issues um, or intimacy issues or sexual health problems. So they might be individual concerns or they might be concerns within um, a couple of relationships. So things like I think low libido or erectile dysfunction. Uh, premature ejaculation, you know, body image issues coming in to intimacy, um, concerns, anything really related to sexual health um, and obviously then relationships falls into that as well. Mm, absolutely, it does. Um,
0: so I actually am really curious to know your story about what sort of landed you in the postpartum sex therapy space because I know that you work with a lot of new parents um, I know that there's a story there, so can you share that with us?
1: Yeah, sure. So it wasn't really a space that I had uh, particularly thought about specifically um, until I had my first son in 2017. Um, and it then became a mix of like, personal experience and discovering that new mums are just really under-supported in terms of practical information and skills to revive their sexual identity and relationships. Um, And personally for me, so because of circumstances with my son, my husband and I didn't actually have our first date night until our son was 14 months old. Mm. Um, Then we had our second son 18 months after our first was born. So I hadn't really gotten back to where I wanted to be as a person or as a woman um, after my first son and then it just seemed even harder after my second. So I struggled with the after effects in terms of like self-image and energy um, and, you know, lack of time. Um, So I found myself part of the 48% of mums that don't see themselves as a sexual being and are touched out. Um, So I basically then reached a point where I decided to put myself first, put a plan together for change. Uh, It worked. And, you know, other mums that I knew were asking me questions. So that plan basically then became the basis of the Mama's Central Safari online course that I have. And I sort of dove into the postpartum sexual health space to help uh, and educate people about the importance of sexual health and its relationship um, impacts as well.
0: Mm, So it comes from lived experience.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yeah. Which is the best kind, I would say, honestly. Well, I find it interesting too that you were working as a sex therapist prior to having your children and that this still kind of being a shock or something that you personally had to navigate and, I guess, come to terms with and work out. That's yeah. really interesting to me.
1: Absolutely. And that- Is this a
0: gap in sex therapy?
1: Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a gap in sex therapy. I think it's just that we all have our individual you know backgrounds and Mm. knowledge and beliefs and history that all play a part in how we think about sex and yes you know you can you can study and you can know everything about it and that obviously does then help change your mentality around sexual health but we don't talk to women about what happens um, you know to yeah. our sexual health and our sex drive and relationships after birth, after childbirth. And um, so it's still that shock of when you go into that situation yourself. Um, you know, I've spoken to other people as well, sort of across the sexual health industry, and they as well have had similar situations where all of a sudden they see, you know, their stomach hanging down while they're having sex and they think, oh, that's not attractive. Um, So you still have those personal issues to work through. And I think that's why I'm so, uh, I feel so strongly about educating people both while they're expectant parents and then as new parents to really help in that time where they are having all these concerns so that we can really try to work through that Uh, as early as we can and not let things fester and Mm. develop um, because we should all know about it um, and be able to move to positive spaces sooner rather than later because the longer you leave things you know the worse things get and the harder they are then to actually resolve yeah would you
0: say would it be fair to say that sex is not the same after you have children. What do you think about that statement?
1: I don't know that it's necessarily not the same. I think it actually gets better. Um, But I also think uh, it's better for, for two reasons. One, I think that women are just older generally and start to actually take control of, you know their, their sex life and two i think for mums in particular it's lack of time so it's really now around okay i need to have quality sex as opposed to quantity sex and so the combination of that of taking more control of what i actually like and making sure that i use the time uh, in the way that i want makes it better um in terms of us actually asking for what we want and experiencing pleasure during that that time Um, yes it can absolutely feel different and um things that were pleasurable before you had children might not be afterwards but that i think is also part of what makes that journey more exciting because people are more open then to exploring And discovering what they actually like and trying new things whereas maybe for women in their 20s they're a bit nervous about it they want to try things but they're not too sure and they're not confident as well to ask for what they want. Mm.
0: That's really interesting something that you said earlier as well 48 percent of women don't see themselves as a sexual being were they postpartum women? Yes. Okay yes do you know what factors contributed to that?
1: So, um, yeah, so self-image and sexual self-image for mothers uh, is a major factor in their you know, lack of libido after having kids. And one in seven women actually across the board has low sexual self-image. And for mothers, you know, where that comes from is really uh, body changes. So from pregnancy and childbirth um, and coming to terms and accepting, you know, how their body now looks like the lack of time to actually then you know pamper themselves and look after themselves as well even just lack of time to you know change our wardrobe and still wear the same clothes that we've been wearing for 15 years which now might not fit the body shape that we have after kids and that obviously doesn't make us feel good um and it's also the physical changes then we experience as well so could be things like you know, loss of uh, muscle tone in our abdomen, or scars, um, sensation changes as well. Uh, there's a lot of physical changes that obviously happen. Some are temporary, some are permanent. Um, and all of that is a factor for our, our self image, which just, I don't wanna say is destroyed after childbirth, but it takes a, a significant hit Mm. um and a while for that then to to come back
0: yeah would you would it be safe to say though that so like within the first 12 months obviously because of those really big significant changes and tra- transitions and adjustments not just only in your sex life but your whole every aspect of your life it's sort of like once you pass that first 12 months it's like you slowly are piecing it back together and it can be you know, well, in your words, better than it was um, for the various factors that you said prior. But yeah, just sort of coming to terms with it and just giving it time. Would you say that time is just a big part of this?
1: Uh, it can be the issue with time that we have, and, and I do hear this um, a lot, is uh you know when just wait till baby becomes a toddler you know and Mm -hmm. I hear that advice going from mothers to mothers um you know wait till um baby's a toddler and then it's oh no wait till a toddler um goes to school and then it's wait till your kid's self-sufficient um so it really just keeps progressing but the fact that we do know is that uh without actually intervening um, and you know, actively making changes both to our own, you know, sexual identity and to our relationship, we know that things actually won't improve for ten mm. years. Wow. Um, so the question is, you know, are you are you willing to wait ten years to see your relationship improve? Um, and the the other problem with time then is that because we are having children later in life we'd then start to fall into age-related sexual health issues as well. Uh, and they can be nerve-wracking as well for people to talk about, both men and women. So then you're potentially dealing with more issues as well uh, than what you would have been had you, you know, been trying to work on things early in that first 12 months postpartum.
0: So your advice would be sort of like early intervention, the better? Like...
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. and it, it's not hard um, and it doesn't take a lot of time. I think that's the biggest um, concern is that people always think, you know, intimacy and having those intimate conversations as well takes a lot of time uh, and they, they don't really. So my aim with what I do and why I like to give practical information is, you know, giving mums things that they can do to help change their sexual self-image in 10 minutes a day. Um, and all mums will, will have 10 minutes a day that they can spend on themselves, even though I'm sure some listening will disagree with that. Um, you can absolutely find 10 minutes for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. I know that you're going to give us those pointers and things throughout this conversation. So something that caught my eye when I was, I've been following you and reading about you and things. So, you know. We're sort of always cleared at the six-week postpartum mark and it's here's some contraception and you're okay to have sex now, generally speaking. That, that's what's said at the six-week check. And you actually say that this is a missed opportunity when it comes to talking to couples about sex and I'm curious to know why you say that.
1: It absolutely is because 89% of new parents have 11 to 20 sexual concerns. Um, so there is clearly a lot of thinking going on, you know, in that sexual health space, but only about fifteen percent of those new parents are actually comfortable enough, you know, to ask a health professional about those concerns. Yeah. Um, and when I do speak to then, you know, mums particularly about that six-week checkup conversation, you know, all the advice is that it's not informative or it's basic and brief. And you're right, it's just purely really around. Contraception and how to avoid another pregnancy. Um, but those 11 to 20 sexual concerns that people have uh, have nothing to do with contraception. They are much more sex focused in terms of the impact of childbirth on sexual desire, frequency of sex, breastfeeding impacts, um, and body image impacts. So the six week or clear really needs to be broadcast openly as you know like physical or clear really then what health professionals should then be doing is really focusing on the psychological component of sex uh, because sex is much more a psychological act than a physical act Um, and you know some people might find it surprising but although an obstetrician you know for example might spend almost every day looking at female genitalia many of them are actually still nervous to talk about sex and don't want to have that conversation. Um, So that's where I say it's really a missed opportunity to open the conversation about sex and normalise sexual desire changes um, and, you know, that it's okay to actually not want to have intercourse for months and that, you know, just because I'm saying now that you are physically, you know, okay, you're not going to cause any damage, etc doesn't mean now you need to rush out um, and go and have sex and intercourse. yeah
0: that's fascinating 11 to 20 sexual concerns that makes sense to me though when i think back to that time um you know i was terrified of having sex again particularly after a birth injury which you know we're going to go into a bit later um Mm -hmm. but yeah i absolutely see that and you know how it is much more of a psychological game. For sure, I would 100% agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you say that that differs between men and women though? Uh,
1: there is a bit of a gender difference, yes. Uh, for women, it is much more psychological. Um, men are much more likely to have what we call spontaneous sexual desire, mm. meaning they can just, you know, look at some breasts and go, ooh, Want to have sex now um whereas women are much more likely to have responsive sexual desire so we need things to respond to to actually activate our sexual desire and that is a bit of like a continuous cycle so it's not just that you know oh wow my husband took the rubbish out without me asking you know i want to have sex we need things to continue on that path uh, which makes our sexual desire much more psychological in terms of it can stop at any point um, throughout. So, you know, if you are really enjoying things, things are progressing and all of a sudden you get some pain, for instance, mm. um, that can actually be a blocker then to your to women's desire and completely um, cut it off. It's sort of a matter of trying to work through everything and and keep that, I suppose, reward system in our brain flowing. And yes, I continue to enjoy this. I'm continuing to enjoy it. Uh, So it is harder for women in that respect.
0: Yeah. So as a sex therapist, I want you to kind of bust some myths for me. Um, Any common misconceptions about postpartum sex that you often encounter in your practice that you'd like to break?
1: Yeah. So uh, the first one would probably be that I hear, you know, your feelings will stay the same pre and postpartum for your partner. Um, now, after a baby, couples tend to fall into stereotypical roles. So mum tends to become primary caregiver and dad, you know, is the breadwinner. the house but these days we don't really live like that anymore so we're really just adding extra chores to mum yeah um and what then happens is that couples disconnect and resentment starts to creep in and resentment is one of those biggest changes that um people just aren't expecting so i think one of the biggest myths is just you know around that relationship and and it altering Uh, The second is about mums recommencing uh, sex between four and eight weeks postpartum. So it's always one of the first sentences on any website that talks about um, sex after after childbirth. Um, And so people believe it, but there are two issues with it. So the first is that once you give someone a timeline for most people or normal people, uh, then psychologically we're really setting people up to fail because we all want to be part of the group, part of the norm. And mums think, well, if other mums are doing that, you know, what's wrong with me if, if I'm not? Um, and the other problem with it is that when people hear the word sex, they automatically think intercourse. Uh, so that's what mums are thinking. Okay, I need to have intercourse around four to eight weeks. Uh, But sex is an all-encompassing word for any sexual activity. So when someone says, you know, they have sex, we really don't know what it is that they've done. And at that eight-week mark, it could more be, you know, digital play, which is much more realistic as to what might be happening at that time. Mm. Um, The other myth is probably that only mums who experience birth trauma or have ongoing issues, such as prolapse, have their sex-like affected. Um, Now we know that that's not the case at all. You know, changes in our sex lives happen at various times and childbirth is just, you know, another one of those life-changing events that uh, can cause changes. You know, raising kids is stressful and tiring um, and has a huge impact on our our sex drive. So generally when people are stressed, our body is Busy focusing on other needs as opposed to you know pre- pleasurable wants and desires. So, although sex is great for stress relief and can actually you know help you focus and be more productive, in general, uh, the, in the general population, only about twenty percent of people actually use sex for stress relief. Um, so anyone can experience changes to their sex life. Um, And probably finally, uh, as we touched on just before, the other myth is that the relationship will get better over time. Um, Mm. So as I said before, you know, without intervening and, you know, actively making changes, um, you're not looking at anything really changing for 10 years. One of the
0: things that you had said at the beginning there, so how we don't sort of live in those gender gender stereotypical roles anymore and that you know women kind of are doing everything um and how that is a huge impact on your sexual desire and I often when I'm talking to mums they are telling me things like they are telling me things like I'm chronically exhausted I'm completely touched out like my husband comes home and like He's all up in me and I'm like, you need to just get away from me and that that creates resentment. Um, you know, you're the one getting up in the night, particularly if you are the one that's breastfeeding, um, you know, like you're on 24 seven, you've got kids hanging off you, what feels like 24 seven and you barely have enough time for yourself. And then you've got to go and perform, so to speak, for your partner, your husband, like that is really challenging particularly in those first 12 months and even more so I'm going to say when we keep sort of adding children to our families like I find it gets harder and harder because the load becomes a bit bigger and bigger do you have any kind of wisdom for mums who are kind of nodding their head through all of this
1: yes so absolutely so being touched out um, and just taking the majority of the workload is a huge issue. Um, the first thing to do is really just to call it out. Um, so your partner has no idea how you're feeling unless you actually tell them and They don't tend to, um, you know, and I am taking the stereotypical approach here because that is generally what we see. So I am assuming partner is going out to work, you know, five, six days a week. Um, They're coming home probably around that early evening time, which is often a hectic time in family households. So you might not even really have a conversation with your partner properly until the kids go to bed. And that's probably then where they're coming at you wanting to hug or kiss or, you know, interact with you. And that's then where that, you know, that overstimulation and touched out kicks in um, and all of a sudden we react to it. So the first thing you need to do is actually tell them that I'm touched out Um, and even letting them know beforehand or at the time, depending on, you know, what's happened that day. You know, tell your partner that you need, say, 15 minutes or half an hour after baby's gone to sleep or your kids have gone to sleep just to decompress and reset from the day. Um, or ask your partner to do that nighttime routine whilst you shower and relax. Um, if it is every day because, you know, your schedule is just that jam-packed or whatever it may be, then you absolutely need to look at uh, your workload and sharing tasks out because there's obviously an inequitable split there. And... I think the problem is that a lot of people try to do that in their head and think about, well, I do this and they do that. Um, When you write it down, it's very hard for people to then ignore what the split actually looks like. So um, my advice there is to absolutely write everything down um, and then sit down together and work out a split that is actually going to to benefit both of you. the other thing is to then actually some, schedule some intimacy time. So it actually helps you get excited. People think, oh, scheduled sex, you know, that's not you know, romantic or exciting. Um, it actually is because you anticipate then what's going to happen, you know, that day or in two days' time or whatever it might be. Um, and that is actually really arousing that anticipation in itself. But it also means that you can plan out your days properly to reduce stress. Um, And finally, for mum, uh, I would spend five minutes alone, just breathing and giving yourself a central self massage, which helps you relax. um, And it helps to also get your body excited for touch again, but because you're in control of the touch, you know, you can control how your body responds and when it's ready. So it's getting used to touch, getting familiar with it again, opening those nerve endings up again, but you're in control.
0: Mm. I
1: think communication is
0: such a big one, because particularly when you are overstimulated and touched out, because it can feel like rejection to you know your partner they can feel rejected by you when they're sort of trying to initiate um, any kind of intimacy and you're just like oh hell no but they don't actually know they may not know what feeling touched out looks like or feels like Um, and so being able to communicate with your partner is such a big one Um, that's totally something that you know both of us had to learn and navigate uh, throughout having kids so yeah I honestly Communication is key.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, it really is. And we we struggle so much, um, particularly with, you know, communicating about sex and, and sex-related problems. Um, and you're right, like dads are doing most of the initiating within that first 12 months and mums are rejecting. And that is one of the biggest things I say, you need to communicate because... Dads are very good then at making their disappointment and anger, you know, at that situation known. But mum is feeling so, you know, guilty, nervous, tense, stressed about it, that she actually doesn't communicate that out. It's all internal. So dad actually thinks that mum's quite satisfied, you know, for instance, in rejecting him, but she's really not. Mm. Um so that communication is absolutely essential in first really trying to explain what you're feeling um and letting your partner know that you still love and appreciate them and you want to be intimate with them but I just need to work through a few things first before I can get to that space
0: yeah and letting them help you with that like if that's the goal if intimacy and sex is the goal Surely, the partner's on board <laughs> you know yeah. in helping you get there
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and that's what we need to be doing, and um, you know, I'm sure you as well know about like three hundred and sixty degree communication, you know it's not just about talking, yeah, you know before sex, we've got to talk before, during, after explaining yeah. what it is that I need to boost my desire, what it is that I need you to do during intimacy, and then after you know how was that um, what what worked, what didn't, what did I like, didn't I like. Um, you know, people say, oh, that's a, that's a lot of communication. <laughs> and, yeah, it absolutely is at the beginning, but it doesn't feel overwhelming or unnatural. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, as things progress, you, you can reduce the amount of communication that you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, communication is such a big one. And I think what goes along the lines with what we're talking about is libido i mean we can't talk about sex after baby without talking about libidos right so what tell us what happens to libidos after childbirth or after having a baby and what's the impact on relationships and i guess even individuals with low libido i mean what does even an, a normal libido look like postpartum
1: well yeah that's the thing right? so i suppose you know in general like what is a normal libido Um, first, you know, there is no set answer to that, uh, because Mm. it really is individual. You know, as I sort of said before, our sexual desire comes from lots of different influences, including, you know, our knowledge, culture, beliefs, you know, history. Um, so a normal libido is really a healthy individual sexual desire, meaning that you think and act on your desire, both with a partner and solo as well, you know, as often, as it suits you and your partner and what makes you happy. Um, What happens to libido, you know, in the postpartum space? So there is a significant drop, you know, for mothers in sexual desire. 80% of mothers have no interest in sex. And 79% of mothers have no or low interest in sex. Uh, Because we don't talk about how normal changes are after childbirth and help women readjust. You can see that that figure doesn't really shift much either Mm -hmm. over time. Um, So women are actually often relieved after having a baby when they hear from the doctor, I don't have sex for six weeks. They feel like they've got a bit of a a reprieve there for some time. Um, Then, you know, there's this sudden anxiety and stress. Uh, at six weeks when they're given the all-clear because they now feel that they need to start having sex but they actually don't want to. Um, and, you know, sexual health is an important component of our individual health and it's more vital than people recognise um, and it's important to relationships and relationship satisfaction. So, um, you know, for, from an individual health point of view, sexual health positively impacts our physical and mental health Um, you know it pushes all our happy hormones around our body helping our immune system it helps us focus and be more productive and giving us energy Um, and it's important for relationship satisfaction too because it's a unique way to bond and connect with your partner so it's an act that in most cases doesn't happen in any of your other relationships so it shows your partner you know, that they're a priority and they're special. And there's three main reasons uh, for mum's sexual desire to drop libido. And the first we touched on, which was sexual self-image. So mum's just not feeling sexy or desirable. So they've got no interest in sex, being touched at or looked at or touching someone else. Um, and they lack confidence and acceptance of their body. After childbirth and pregnancy, they just lose general connection to their identity um, and lack that time to sort of find themselves. The second is low libido. So despite whether mum feels sexy or not, she just has no drive to engage in sexual activity. Um, And that more comes from that overwhelming feeling of exhaustion and overstimulation and being touched out. Uh, And it's often as well a lack of perfect sexual circumstance so and I talk a lot about you know stimulants and sedatives and creating your optimal circumstance to actually want to engage Uh, and the final reason you know as we touched on as well again is communication so 54% of mums find it really difficult to discuss sex and sex related problems and they're scared to talk to their partner about what they're feeling or thinking what they need uh, how often they want to engage in activities and what they want those activities to be, um, and because of that fear of judgment um, or just difficulty talking about intimacy, mum's response anxiety heightens. So mm-hmm. she feels tense and nervous, and then we've got all those you know negative stresses as well impacting her libido. Mm. I
0: mean, there's a lot there, isn't there? There's a there's a lot to kind of work through depending on your circumstances and how you your relationship is as well I would say. And when I think about myself and libido I you know I did definitely see a difference obviously between pre-children and after children but then I have two so even between the two of them how different I felt after both of the births. So it's just interesting to even look within yourself you know depending on how many kids you've had as well and what what your libidos looked like after each of them if it's ever kind of come back. I love also how you say that there's no sort of um Normal sense of libido, like how it is just so diverse, and everyone is just so different. And it does obviously depend on your body, your mind, your experiences, your circumstances. Um, yeah, Yeah. that was uh, I loved that. Now, I I had some people write in, My husband initiates sex, but I resent him so much, I just don't even want him sleeping in the same room as me. Where would I even start in overcoming this? Next one. Can you share some inspirational or success stories of couples finding their way back to each other intimately in postpartum? Uh, the next one. Why don't men realize that sex is the last thing on our minds after having a baby? I don't get it. Of course, I don't want to have sex with you. Everything has changed and you just act as if nothing has changed. I think you just spoke to that one. Um Next one. I feel like I have no libido, zilch, gone. What if I don't ever want to have sex again? It's kind of like, there's a lot of like grief and despair around this and and worry, isn't there? Um, There is, yep. Next one. We might be the opposite. Oh, we might be the opposite to most people. I had the baby. I am the primary caregiver, but I want sex and initiate it often, but find my husband doesn't want it at all. Is this normal? And what do I do? That's a different one. Um, I've got two more How do people have the energy for sex When they are so sleep deprived Just the thought of that makes me tired Last one How do I navigate sex When I am terrified of falling pregnant again So I think there was a lot in that But I, I think it also shows The wide range of experiences That people have in navigating sex after baby Did you want to comment on any of those While you've got the opportunity
1: They are all uh, very normal yeah um not something that I haven't heard before in that in that bunch of questions at all um you know and the one in particular where mum uh wants more sex and dad doesn't we absolutely see that side as well um dads also have concerns after after childbirth um and they go through a period of change as well so we can absolutely see it be the reverse um as I said, time, time and communication are the biggest factors in that, in that first postpartum stage. And that's probably what I saw coming through in a lot of those questions. I was thinking first things, you know, timing, um, working through time with them and finding spaces to communicate um, and spend time together and alone as well, and communication um, as well, giving people the vocabulary to actually be able to talk mm-hmm. through their issues. Um, but absolutely each one of those questions has a solution to it. (laughs) Mm, Interesting.
0: Go and see a sex therapist. Yes, (laughs) please do. (laughs) So something that I found come up a lot in that was sort of this sex slump, um, which I know that you've used those words before. Um, So how can mums and couples break out of that no sex slump and what are your top tips for keeping intimacy alive?
1: So, yeah, I do talk about the the no sex lump, um, and it's it's absolutely possible to break out of it. The first thing is actually to actively decide that you want to. Mm. Um, and that obviously just seems like it sounds so basic, but that first step is always the hardest. Um, and you know, because we've got to put a bit of effort in to changing it. Um, So there's three things that really people listening could really just start straight away with. Um, And the first, I know we've touched on a little bit, but I will touch on it again, the the communicating expectations and boundaries. So, um, you know, sex, for instance, shouldn't be painful. Communication Mm -hmm. is the key to stopping pain. Uh, Communication is also the key to making sure that you're comfortable staying in the moment and enjoying what's happening. So what you want to do is sit down um, and tell your partner what your biggest concerns are when it comes to having sex. Uh, Outline what your boundaries are, what you're willing to do and not do, you know, and how often. Set, Set frequency kind of expectations as well and what you expect from your partner. So, what do you expect from your partner during sex but also what do you expect beforehand um, one thing that i do hear a lot of is you know a lack of romance so people aren't feeling that romance throughout the day and then all of a sudden their partner is coming at them wanting to be intimate mm-hmm. and they just are completely disconnected from it so what do you expect from your partner what do you want to see um, by laying it all out and being really open we can remove response anxiety and stress Um, and remembering as well that boundaries will change over time so we're not drawing a line in the sand when we're having this this conversation it's a conversation for where we are here and now and then it's a conversation we're going to have again um, in whatever it may be a month's time two months time however you're feeling um, to discuss again well what are your boundaries now because things will will shift Um, the next one is more so for mums, so positive sexual self-messaging. So we've talked a lot about um, low self-image. And this is one thing that you can do today. Uh, And it's important to start your self-messaging naked, um, especially until you reach that point of body acceptance. So standing in the mirror, looking at yourself, telling yourself something great that you really see and that you like. Um, now it's likely that people will probably take you know what I'd say a top down approach so starting with things that they already like and then working towards things that are that are harder and that's doing this naked fine. though yes oh which can be confronting and Very. is absolutely why you can absolutely start with things that you already like you know yeah. so if you really like your eyes you can you can tell yourself you have really beautiful stunning eyes Um, and then slowly progressing onto those areas that we're not sure about. Obviously, once you start to get that body acceptance happening, you know, then you can probably do it without being naked in the mirror. Um, And probably the third thing that people could start with just for today is really taking your relationship back to basics. So I always say that there is no push present for sex. It's not a race. Um, so start with those small intimate acts and, and words like making your partner's favorite meal or curling up on the couch to watch TV together. You know, they're both intimate acts that show your partner love and appreciation. Um, and that's what everyone wants to feel in a relationship. You know then you can move on to kissing, you know, massage with no agenda etc. and you just slowly move through into those next intimate stages as you feel comfortable. Um, and the other thing is to use the five love languages. I know we hear a lot about it, um, and you don't need to know them intimately. And a lot of people as well will kind of move across, across the five, but you will have a top one or two. And if you know yours and you know your partner's preference as well, It's the easiest and the quickest way to show your partner love as well, Mm. just by going to that go to or having your partner go to your go to love language as well.
0: Mm. When I think about this kind of no sex lump, I mean, they're all amazing tips, and some of those would be very confronting. And, you know, for others, some are easy, some are hard. But I think about is there a right timeline for no sex in a relationship because you talk to different people and I know that you're going to have this experience but some people like oh yeah we haven't had sex for two years um for me it was five months after my firstborn but chatting to my girlfriends it was oh eight weeks and ten weeks and so I just felt a bit like oh like I'm doing something wrong because I'm not back at it as quickly as others have been um you know is there a timeline is there a right or wrong? How long's too long? No,
1: no, yeah. <laughs> There's not a right or wrong um, answer. It's really what each couple is comfortable with. But I suppose, um, you know, if we talk about, say, returning to sexual activity after having a child, um, you know, I've spoken to women between six months and 18 months, um, you know, all of who have said that they have no interest in sex still. Um, What I would like to see after childbirth is within that first three to six months, I would like to see some sort of intimate engagement. Now, that doesn't mean that it needs to be intercourse. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be things like, you know, non-genital massages, you know, working on our overall body, um, you know, lots of hugging, kissing, um, all those things that show love, appreciation, and bonding.
0: Yeah, and using those love languages, you know, that yeah. you were just talking about. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So that's what I would really like to see, you know, within that mm-hmm. first sort of three to six months. Um, it's crazy to me that you
0: have to say that. Yeah. Isn't it? Like these things kind of aren't just happening naturally.
1: Yeah. And this is the problem, I think, with people's understanding of sex and not really understanding it. So, you know, Mm. when your partner comes at you and says, I want to have sex, it's not a, no, I don't want to have intercourse or yes, I want to have intercourse answer. Mm. You know, you could say, actually, I really don't want to have intercourse right now. However, what about we do some, you know, digital play or oral play or whatever it may be that you're actually open to at that time? Mm -hmm. um and it's the same thing you know when it comes to frequency and i never refer to any of the stats that we see you know in popular media about how often are people actually having sex um because it's it just varies and honestly the statistic is lower probably than what people think Um, but it really doesn't matter again it's what matters to the two people in the relationship so for some people and and I have when I've asked people about frequency questions you know how often are you having sex and I say per month because women are cyclical so there are weeks where we don't want it at all and then there are weeks where we want it more Mm -hmm. so you know people will say oh uh, you know I want to be having sex you know the normal amount and I'm like well what's the normal amount and I'll say oh one to two times a week and I'm like okay so we're all listening to the media who's yes. saying somewhere between once to two times a week So i'm like okay um and that you know is really not then what i refer to and and that's where i then try to change people's perception and be like okay if you could actually have sex whenever you wanted both with your partner and on yourself what is your preferred frequency um, and then obviously where couples are you know coming together and finding that middle ground that they're both happy with So for some couples, it it might be once every two months. And then for other couples, it might be, you know, 15 times a month. Mm.
0: And I think as well, when I think about the last couple of years, because I mean, I wasn't even having sex while I was pregnant because I had hyperemesis. So like, there's just, you're so chronically ill, like there's just no way. So it's like you include all of those months and then the postpartum things like, you know, it was a really long time. But as I kind of look in the last five years it's sort of like it has come in waves so it's like there'll be lots of quality intimacy and sex and then it'll kind of drop off depending on circumstance and then it kind of does pick back up obviously when it picks back up that requires work and communication and all of the things that you've said it doesn't just happen on its own it does require work but yeah like I've kind of looked at it and gone you know what I look back and it all just kind of makes sense. It makes sense that it wasn't happening at this time and that it was better at this time. Um, So hindsight sometimes can just be really nice. Um, But, yeah, when you're in the thick of it, it can seem like it's forever and and it's your fault or you're broken or, you know, all of those sorts of feelings for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What are some of the top concerns that dads usually have about sex after birth?
1: Yep, so we do know the top concerns for dads Um, and let's just touch on the top three. So the first one is about mood swings, Uh, so not postpartum depression, just general mood swings and their impact on sexual activity after childbirth. Um, So obviously we do know, you know, when we go through periods of change, you know, tempers can fray, Mm. uh, particularly if you're not someone that copes well with change. You know, for mothers, then we've also got that transition period where hormones are rebalancing, um, and we might also have potentially breastfeeding. Um, You know, fatigue, stress, overstimulation. Yes, mum's not going to be necessarily in the best mood. Uh, But similarly for dads as well, they're also learning, learning to live with this new normal. So their moods fluctuate as well. So absolutely, negative moods are going to negatively impact you know, your sex life. But the Mm. best defence, obviously, against negative moods um, and an impact on your sex life is emotional support and sharing that workload, which, you know, we've sort of touched on both of those. Uh, The second concern is about frequency of intercourse after childbirth. So um, although it's actually number two on dad's list, it's number one for mums. So for me, that slight difference tells me a lot about Uh, internal expectations that women have on themselves and their role in relationships. Um, So, you know, we've sort of touched on that as well, that, you know, there's no set frequency for sex and it's something that's completely, you know, personal to the individual and the couple and whatever they're happy with as well. Um, But one thing that I do like to make sure new parents know about is actually some research that was done on mothers within the first 12 months postpartum Um, and it was research showing them sexual stimuli and it was looking at their amygdala which processes emotion and there was essentially no or very low rate of activation so women's brains in the first 12 months postpartum when they're seeing sexual stimuli is actually just not activating at all to it um now Why that is, we don't particularly know. We think that it may be like a form of self-preservation while, you know, mum's sort of transitioning and focusing on baby. Um, But I do think it's really important for new parents to know that, particularly dads, because where we talked as well before about dads initiating and mum's rejecting, you know, it's all normal. She's not necessarily wanting to reject you. Her brain is just literally not activating to what you're you're putting out there. Um, and the third concern is about a mismatch in sexual desire. So dad's having more sexual desire than mum. You know, mismatched libidos aren't unique to parents. You know, they happen in relationships in general. Um, it's often just more obvious when we become parents, I think, because becoming a parent is such a lifestyle change with those high levels of fatigue and stress and being touched out. Uh, now, for dads who do have lower sexual desire, it can come from childbirth experiences. So, whether the birth was traumatic or whether the experience was just unexpected and confronting, um, you know, and dads can also have lower desire from that stress and fatigue as well. Um, and for that, you know, the eighty percent of those new mums, you know, we touched on um, the three reasons why uh, mums' desire drops. Um, And the resentment that that can creep in. So, you know, there's always one person in a relationship with a lower sexual desire. And they are the person that controls sex in the relationship, including the frequency and the types of activities. So most often I do see this person being mum. um, But it's also important to remember that 66% of mums are unsatisfied with their sex life and sixty eight percent of mums want sex more often than they're having it, and it's often around double what they're currently doing so don't tend don't don't think that because you tend to stick to one person's sort of sexual schedule that they're actually happy about it as well and yeah. that's where that communication um, is going to be really important
0: would you say would you attribute that to um i guess social conditioning around sex and male pleasure over female pleasure
1: yes absolutely yeah that's what comes to my mind yeah it's why also we talk so much about sex in terms of intercourse um, and not sex you know for the way that it should be which is a broad term for any sexual activity Uh, because you know intercourse is like the pinnacle act for men to experience pleasure but we know that that is not the case for women you know our pinnacle pleasure point is the clitoris it's outside we don't need to penetrate at all to experience Mm -hmm. that amount of pleasure so it absolutely is because we are still very much in the male arena um and i think it's also as well because we see still sex for reproduction not sex for pleasure when it comes to women yeah but when you think about you know every time that you've had sex how often has it been for the purpose of wanting to reproduce versus for the purpose of just enjoyment yeah Um, so we really need to start changing that mindset as well about you know women actually have sex for pleasure not to reproduce more often than not Mm.
0: that's really interesting and I mean it makes sense to me though because the clitor the full anatomy of the clitoris wasn't discovered until the 1990s for heaven's sakes that is just a joke but you know that fe- that feeds into like pleasure and sex and what that looks like for male and female so yeah it makes sense anyway i think a huge barrier or yeah a huge barrier to maybe navigating sex or being sexually satisfied male female whatever the couple looks like would be potentially mental health issues right so you've touched on psychological trauma traumatic birth traumatic pregnancy or even whatever was going on postpartum you know if your baby's in the NICU and you're at home together and you know yeah like sex is going to be the last thing on your mind what how can couples kind of address um the psychological barriers in terms of mental health that are affecting their sexual relationship do you have any advice for this
1: It's really about sitting down and doing, you know, as we touched on before, that 360-degree communication. Um, You need to be telling your partner, you know, how you see yourself as a sexual person Mm. and your partner, you know. um, What are your biggest concerns when it comes to having sex? What are your fears? Uh, For instance, you know, we have women who have prolapse, Um, who have a fear around incontinence uh, during sex. And, you know, as with any fear, we always take it to the extreme. So when you're talking to them, then, you know, this fear is that, oh, my gosh, it's going to be like a waterfall amount of incontinence. And it's really, you know, not the case. It might just be a drop, um, which is fine because you say, well, do you have a waterfall when you're, you know, walking around the house? And they say no so you know why would it be any different um so it's really about making those concerns really known how you're feeling in the moment you know outlining the boundaries and then you know guiding during the sexual activity a lot guiding your partner through it and talking a lot um and working on a solution together So you really need to work on a solution together that's going to work for you as to, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to engage in? How often? And moving really slowly and just being really comfortable with where you are because if you're not comfortable and you're not enjoying it, you're not going to want to go back and do it again. Um, So, you know, if you aren't comfortable having that conversation together just in your house with your partner, absolutely you know, contact me or any other sex therapist near you who can help facilitate that conversation.
0: Yeah, I think sex should come up in psychological support, particularly if, you know, you're in that postpartum phase and you're having um, some struggles. It's just, it's something that kind of doesn't necessarily fix itself. Like, it does take work, and I don't want people to feel overwhelmed by that because the work is it's in small increments. It's not these, you know, big, big things. So it is kind of baby step by baby step, like you've kind of mentioned throughout. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Getting some kind of support is a big one. What would you say to a person who might be listening and this topic really resonates with them and they just in general are struggling to be intimate again? Do you have any kind of words of wisdom? the general pop- population
1: <laughs> yeah so so the first obviously would just be you know that you are not alone um and the situation you're finding yourself in is not unusual so please do not be embarrassed or ashamed um secondly that you know everyone's relationship is different so don't compare yourself to your neighbor or your friend because it's all relative um, And just finally you know if you want things to change they can so sex isn't a one-size-fits-all scenario and so even if you have received advice you know from somewhere before or ideas and they haven't worked as well as you hope you know don't give up because there are always other things that we can try So the only question really that you need to ask yourself is what happens if nothing changes? And that's a really scary question Mm. for people to answer sometimes. And if you don't like the answer to that question or if it makes you nervous thinking about it, then that is your motivation to make changes. Uh, But we can absolutely find a solution.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think comparison is such a big one isn't it like it just comparing in general with anything like if you're at different stages in your friendship groups with your children's development or even the circumstances that you've been given like you, you just can't compare like nobody is the same and every couple it's it's going to look different and everyone and every couple's going to be satisfied differently as well so yeah I think comparison's Absolutely. probably my takeaway from what you've said I want to add something that you said earlier, the quality versus quantity. So you know, getting fixated on how many times but rather really addressing sort of the quality of your interactions together. I think that that's such a big one. And that's something I'd personally had to learn. Um yeah, just like it was funny cuz like uh the other week like we had sex twice in a row and I'd said to him on the second night what twice in a row like you know like <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore yeah. and um it, like we kind of like high-fived over it we're like go us you know but it was like oh i'm getting hung up on the frequency there like it was more about the quality and both times were quality yeah. but it was like we're probably gonna go i don't even know how long now without it because we had it twice <laughs> <in a row. laughs> yeah. so yeah all about but quality that, not quantity. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah but that just shows to go goes to show right um You know, women, again, very cyclical timing-wise. Yes, and I was ovulating, you're right. Yeah, Yeah. so there are times where you're going to want it more. And you know what? And if it was quality, which it obviously was the first time because you were quite happy to go back a second time. That's right. Yeah, absolutely, but definitely quality first. (laughs) Yes,
0: definitely. So, Vanessa, I wanted to ask you and I wanted to include those who – and navigating sex and birth injuries, and you spoke to prolapse just before, so obviously we'll include things like prolapse and any other physical birth injury, but also that aspect of psychological trauma uh, from pregnancy, birth, uh, and you know, one of the questions we had in was, you know, how do I navigate sex when I'm just terrified of falling pregnant again? Like that is a genuine concern, and I've certainly been there, and I and I was for a really long time. So, can you tell me what are some common birth injuries that impact intimacy? And how do they typically affect individuals and couples?
1: Yeah, so the most common, um, obviously, that I see is pelvic organ prolapse. Mm. Um, But there is also, you know, psychological trauma, which at the time, you know, people might recognise as a traumatic experience. Or sometimes they don't realise that they have residual trauma from the childbirth Um, until they actually go to be intimate and it's triggered. So um, things like, say, for instance, a vertical um, C-section incision, Um, you know, at the time that may not have been traumatic. However, suddenly when they go to be intimate, there's a a body image shift there that gets triggered. Um, So there can be a fear of touch you know, because of what has happened the last time, you know, their genitals were touched or someone was really down in their genitalia. Um, And there can be fear and anxiety around what uh, their vulva looks like, you know, as I said, whether they'll be incontinent, uh, whether their partner will be disgusted by what they see. Um, And so all these things really affect individuals and couples by halting sexual interest creating response anxiety and pain um or sometimes you know there is a desire but their anxiety and their nerves just get the better of them and they're just unable to sort of take that first step to physically engage with their partner so um you know if they try then to force themselves through it you know they don't experience pleasure because they aren't enjoying the moment so it really can be like a dissolution of or intimacy And even those, you know, non-sexual intimate acts like hugging and kissing as well, we can see diminish um, as people sort of retreat into themselves.
0: It's really scary, isn't it? And,
1: I mean, this would affect so
0: many people, you know, me personally, but I know many others. And when you're sort of coming to terms with what's happened to you, like sex is the last thing on your mind, but when it comes time to be intimate and have sex again you're right it does come up and it does and it is really confronting um, and it is really challenging so what are some steps that um, individuals or couples can take to navigate intimacy after experiencing birth injuries
1: so the first thing that you know we have said a lot of is you know to remember that sex isn't just intercourse Mm. um you know And as i said intercourse you know might be the pinnacle pleasure for men uh, but it's not for women so you do not need you know penetrative intercourse necessarily to actually experience any pleasure Um, anyone tells that tells you that you can't have a sex life with certain issues or trauma is taking a really narrow view of sex um, and also not thinking about quality of life so ignore that person altogether (laughs) Um, then you know the starting point to navigate your sex life is really the same, irrelevant of what type of you know injury or trauma you have, and it's to go slow and communicate a lot. So start with the basics, you know which uh, is one hug and one open mouth kiss a day, for my advice. Um, so it sounds really simple, but you'd be surprised how many days, uh, particularly you know in those early postpartum months. Um, you can go without when you're dealing with family life. So you want a standing hug of at least 10 seconds. That's going to release all those positive hormones around your body and it's great for bonding um, and also helps really, you know, relax because you just sort of feel your body almost melt away. Uh, and the same thing with a kiss. So one open mouth kiss a day gets those hormones jumping around again and there's no expectations with either of these that they will lead to any further intimacy. Um, then communication um, really about when you're ready to take that next step and what your fears of that next step are. Mm. So, and I think
0: if you've communicated those things when you when you do actions like the open mouth kiss and things like that, because you have communicated, you can feel safe doing them without feeling pressured to then have sex because I know a lot of women have those feelings right like oh well if I cross that line then I'm gonna cross the next line but yeah if you've communicated it doesn't have to be that way
1: yeah and that's what happens a lot I think and that's where we get that um touched out you know jerking response happen as well you know for instance if you're sitting on the couch and your partner just comes and puts their hand on your thigh um you automatically sort of recoil or freeze because you think well here we go But really, when you ask the partner, you know, what did you mean by that? You know, they say, I just wanted to touch her. I just just wanted to sit on the couch and touch her. I didn't actually want to take that any further. Mm. So, yeah, the communication is really key. And little intimate acts like that of, yeah, wanting to touch the thigh because I want to touch your body. I love your body. Um, But knowing that that's all I want to do, it's okay. Mm. That's really going to be key.
0: Okay, so how can individuals or couples overcome any fears or anxieties that they might have that arise around engaging in sexual activity after birth injuries and psychological trauma? This is a big one.
1: It is, yes. So the first point of call, I would say, um, I am going to give a little bit of a step-by-step guide, but If you are still nervous, the first point of call is absolutely to seek out a sex therapist who can really navigate that conversation around fears, anxiety and the reality of sex for you. Um, But if we do go through sort of a bit more of a step-by-step guide to to really re-engage in sex again for anyone um, that has birth injuries or any psychological trauma, sort of starting point is really the same. So... Uh, 26% of your body's surface is erogenous zones so don't forget about all your other extra genital erogenous zones that's really going to help you heighten your arousal to where you need it to be and quite often we rush through say foreplay for instance because we think we need to get to penetration here we're really taking it back and we're focusing on the whole body and we're spending time. So start with non-genital touch sessions, uh, which really takes the pressure off You know, a session heading too far in a direction that you're not ready for. Um, and these are really great for opening communication and getting those nerve endings firing um, also sort of in a safe and comfortable space. And obviously you know that it's going to be a non-genital touch session and it's really just a massage Um, and, you know, it ends when you're ready for it to end. Uh, Then when you do go for genital touch and play, um, you can always keep your underwear on first until Mm. you actually feel comfortable with touch. So having that material barrier can be really helpful from a mental standpoint. Um, You know, and as I said, the clitoris is the female pinnacle pleasure point. Um, So if you don't if you do want to orgasm, uh, you don't need penetration. Um, And also constant communication throughout the act. So women's sexual responses are very much internal. So you really need to tell your partner what's working what's not and ask your partner to tell you you know what they're going to do before they actually do it so that's going to help you battle through that response anxiety as well um and again you know even though we are talking about genitalia like you could have a genital touch session with or without orgasm you know so if you've just had enough um you've enjoyed it but you've had enough and you have an orgasm that's fine you just stop the session there Um, Then if you are going to have penetrative intercourse, so move slowly with lots of foreplay, so that non-genital touch, then the genital touch to make sure that you are really highly aroused and use a really good lubricant to avoid any potential pain. So, you know, other tips for intercourse would be to ask your partner to, uh, once they've penetrated, to actually stop moving and just remain still. And use relaxation breathing to sort of reacquaint yourself with that sensation. Um, a number of women have also asked me about um, painful episiotomy scars, mm. um, which arousal and breathing will help with. Uh, but you can also consider doing just some perineal massage as well first, just to get that, um, the skin and the tissue used to stretching again because obviously scar tissue doesn't have the elasticity of Of regular skin Um, and try lots of different positions so you know I think as we said at the very beginning of this podcast like what was previously enjoyable might not be good anymore Um, and if you do have prolapse for instance you might need to consider pelvic strength and gravity when you are choosing positions so that you're picking the right positions that are going to work in your favor Um, But most importantly, probably for everyone listening, I would say use this time as an exciting exploration. So everyone, every couple around the world is always learning about sex and different things to try out to keep the flame alive. So looking at that whole experience from a fun perspective Um, is really going to give you that positive mindset that you need as opposed to going in thinking negatively, oh, that's not working anymore, I'm going to have to find something else to do. Mm -hmm. You want to go in positive, you want to go in exploring and trying things out.
0: And I can, you know, attest to that because like sex was different for us after a baby I did have birth injuries. I did have lots of fears and anxiety about having sex again and all of those things. And, you know, that was a couple of years ago now. So I'm a couple of years on. And it is so possible to get to a place where you are just completely satisfied with your sex life in the way that it is because you've worked on quality, you've worked on communication, you've worked around your fears and anxieties and things. And sometimes exposure is best for those things. Um, Just simply trying something you're comfortable with and you know in those increments like I said before but something that personally helped me was toys using sex toys which I'd never done prior you know it just was something that we incorporate now and it's just become our normal because it's like well this is what we both enjoy now
1: and it's so different to what it was before Absolutely. I love speaking to people about toys. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> and there's so much out there. I think uh, there's so much more out there now, which is fantastic, and things that are less intimidating to look at. Things also as well that you can buy online, which come in discrete pack- packaging, so mm. it's not scary like, oh, my gosh, I've got a Walk into that adult store down the road, and someone might see me go into it. Who I know, um, and they'll be embarrassed by it. There is such an array out there now, and that you can buy online, and they really do help keep the flame alive in the relationship. But they also help you find what it is that you would like. Yeah, there are so many options out there, and that's why I always say, you know, sex isn't one size fits all. If one thing doesn't work, there is so many other things that we can look at. You know. Um, you know, touch might be something that really uh, boosts your desire and there's so many different ways to touch someone or to have a toy touch you or not even touch you, just, you know, lightly hovering over your skin. Mm. There's just so many options available and that's why, you know, I think with birth injuries you can still have a very, very, very satisfying sex life. Yeah, I would agree.
0: I had a few friends who experienced prolapse and that that was a significant impact on not only them as individuals and how they felt about their bodies and themselves but then it fed into their sex life as well. Do you have any I guess certain tips for those who have a prolapse and struggle to be
1: intimate? So um in terms of things that they can use, so they sell with them either as squirt blankets or sex blankets, which um, I don't like them termed squirt blankets because you can use it for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how they are sold. Uh, and they are fantastic. They're basically just a waterproof blanket. Um, I have one where you use one just all the time because it's such a lovely feel. Yeah, well, that just makes sense, right? (laughs) Um, It's a really lovely, like, velvety feeling. It's it's fantastic. Um, And that, you know, you obviously put that down. So if you are scared for, you know, about incontinence, that's going to be your first thing to put down. And have a hand towel as well in case you need to wipe something away as well. Um, You know, going to basic things like going to the toilet beforehand. So Mm -hmm. that's also going to reduce that fear as well. Um, It's going to be nerve-wracking, but if you are worried about what your partner is going to think when they visually see your vulva without actually having sex, I wouldn't do this in a sex session, I would do this separately, lie down, have your partner look at your vulva and actually tell you what they see because that's going to be really confronting for most people but it's going to be really necessary because I guarantee he's probably not looking at your vulva as you know how you think he is Mm. um you know he's still seeing it at a, a fantastic pleasure spot that he wants to go to um so having them be able to describe that to you and describe what they see and what they feel when they see it um I know a lot of prolapse community members who say, you know, don't look at your vulva yourself, it'll just bring the trauma back and you'll hate it, etc. Um, I actually say the absolute reverse of that. You need to look at your vulva yourself because you need to remove that trauma from that space. You need to now start looking at yourself and telling yourself, you know, the fantastic work that you have done, like you literally birthed a baby. Um, You birthed a human. So, you know, just reacquainting yourself as well with your vulva and being trying to get into more of an accepting space as well.
0: And I think approaching things, like you said before, with curiosity, it's like, you know, now you probably do have to navigate things a little differently. So, yeah, get curious about what that's going to look like and, you know, doing it together. Like that, that can be really fun and a really great way to bond.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, tell me one partner that doesn't want to try out different different things that are out there
0: (laughs) to try. Well, I've just loved this conversation so much. I do have one more question for you just for those who maybe want some more information. um, Do you have any sort of resources or books or support groups or anything that you'd recommend for individuals and couples navigating either intimacy after birth injuries or just intimacy after baby in general?
1: Um, So I do have the Mama's um, Central Safari online course, um, which is open to, you know, any mums, whether they've got birth injuries or not. And it's specifically designed to help busy, tired mums reclaim their um, sexuality and their relationship satisfaction. Um, And that's really very step-by-step guide uh, as to how you can, you know, basically go from zero to a 100 and you can take that at your own pace as you need um and probably the only other specific i would say would be to either reach out to myself who specializes in postpartum sexual health or any you know sex therapist that's near you to talk about your concerns because i guarantee that there is a solution um and the earlier you sort of start working on those the better Mm.
0: I've loved this conversation Vanessa I feel like it's just so needed and just an open honest conversation where we can talk about the whole spectrum of what sex looks like after baby I I find a lot of the time when I'm talking about postpartum sex with people it's always sort of like like this oh no your poor husband because either you're not having sex or um hearing comments like oh it's like you know, when you're birthing your baby, oh, it's like watching your favorite pub burn down, you know, like those sort of sayings and comments that go around and, oh, they're just such an ick for me. But I really value these conversations. They're so needed. We need more open, honest conversations. Um, But also, like, the fact that it it can be good and that it's not all doom and gloom. And like you said, women are, are cyclical, so being able to follow your cycle, understand your body, understand what works for you addressing those psychological barriers and relationship barriers and yeah it's all just so needed so i appreciate it so much
1: absolutely fantastic and yeah, the more we can normalize and open the conversations the better we're going to be
0: thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health please don't hesitate to reach out we would love to hear from you you can find us at the power of birth on instagram and facebook or on our website thepowerofbirth.net If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.